podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. Roof Racing will command most attention in September, but there are two outstanding showcase country meetings coming up later in the month. On Thursday the 24th, the Lismore Turf Club will present the $75,000 Lismore Cup with three other $50,000 races on the program. On Sunday the 27th, Bathurst Thoroughbred Racing will host the Panorama worth $80,000, $40,000 Bathurst Cup with all other races to carry $30,000. Other country cups coming up in late September are the Manila Cup at Gunnedah, the Gerildery and Grenfell Cups all on the same day, September the 26th, and the Lilypilly Cup at Leeton on Monday the 28th. Kick October off, the Maruya Jockey Club will host the $35,000 Bakemans Bay Cup on Friday the 2nd. New South Wales country racing goes cup crazy in the spring. Talented young Sydney jockey Andrew Adkins is making good progress as he recovers from multiple injuries sustained in a nasty and much publicised race fall at Rosehill Gardens on July the 25th, his second major fall in 15 months. Following surgery for the insertion of a steel rod in his left leg, Andrew was recuperating in his hometown of Port Macquarie where the support of family is proving to be the best tonic of all. At 23 years of age, Andrew can look back on more than 260 winners, including several black-type races and one priceless Group 1, the 2018 Coolmore Classic on his all-time favourite, Daisy Doom, just weeks after coming out of his time. He spent the first part of his apprenticeship with Port Macquarie trainer Mark Quinn, under whose tutelage he outrode his country allowance and gained valuable experience riding in races with some fiercely competitive country jockeys. Ron Quinton, unquestionably the successor to the late Theo Green as a tutor of young jockeys, quickly put the finishing touches on the technique of the youngster from the mid-north coast and moulded him into Sydney's champion apprentice in the 2016-17 season. As we introduce Andrew Atkins... I can tell you he's laying flat on his back on his bed at his parents' home at Port Macquarie, which is situated right on the 450-metre mark at the Port Macquarie racecourse. Now, Andy, are you quite comfortable there? Yeah, I am, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. I am very comfortable just laying back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Lovely of you to join us. Well, we're recording the chat on September the 13th seven weeks after the fall. I know you've got a clear recollection of the circumstances. You were contacted by Smart Image, who made a sudden outward shift, and the bump actually put you back behind Robbie Dolan's mount, Duchess. You clipped her heels, you fell heavily, severely checking three horses behind you, two of which actually galloped on you, and that's where the damage was done. It was a matter of only three or four seconds, but to you it would have seemed like slow motion. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, you couldn't have described it any better, John, but that's that's pretty much exactly how it went down. Um, and like you said, it was it was quick, but it, to me it felt like a million a million seconds. You know, like, mm. it was very like the first initial bit of the fall was very 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 slow, but 
and then it was sort of a bit of a, a blur until I was sort of until I sort of realised of what happened, you know, um, and, and then it was going on to realise my injuries. Now the three riders behind you were Jason Collett, Louise Day, and Lee Majorian, and they were lucky to stay on board their respective horses. Majorian, in fact, lost both eyes. You've probably seen the replay fifty times, have you? Yeah, certainly have. Um, seen it a few times, but um, yeah, it was so good of, of of the jockeys to actually be able to not not clean me up as much as it mm. could have been. Um, so um, I, I think two horses might have actually ran me over, um, and, and and then like you said, Lee lost his irons and stuff like that. So it was it was a mm. pretty, um, pretty scary time for for everyone, really. Mm. Were you conscious of them actually stomping on you, or you didn't? You weren't aware of that until you saw the replay. No, I wasn't aware. Um, obviously, uh, with the injuries I had, I had to have something sort of collect me. Um, but it wasn't until after I seen the, the video and and probably mainly the photos to see where and how they got me. Mm. Um, I think Jason Collett's um, horse. I think he was a grey horse. It, it might have actually got my leg, I think, that, that done the damage. So, um, yeah, it wasn't until after I seen the, the, the footage and photos that, that I sort of realised they had actually got me and how they got me. Sadly, your mount hot and hazy fractured a shoulder and had to be euthanised, a real blow for connections who had high hopes for the horse from all reports. It was very sad times for everyone, you know. Obviously, um, there was a lot of hype about that horse and, um, I, I know at the time we weren't going that great, but um, you know that day might mightn't have been this day. But um, it was very sad for everyone because you know obviously the past they had to put the horse down and hot and hazy, and um, obviously Danny Worms and his connections are probably very disappointed in what's what's happened. But um, you know these these are sort of happens in racing, and, and it's very unfortunate. Hugh Bowman's outstanding record saved him from a longer suspension, longer than six weeks. And I know Hugh was very distraught and very remorseful about the whole thing, and he's maintained good contact with you since the fall. Yeah, he has. He um he come and see me in hospital, and I think he rang me every day for the first week, and um and then after that, when when I was sort of able to be in a room where people could come visit, he he was up there twice and see me, and and even until today, he still rings me probably once once a week or something just to just to check up and mm. keep keep in touch. Your list of injuries was pretty impressive, Andy. Collarbone, seven ribs, a pneumothorax, which complicated things, and, of course, the left leg. Now, what is your understanding of the damage to the left leg? Well, I have uh, fractured or broken tibia and fibula mm-hmm. um, down the bottom, which is sort of just a couple of inches from, from my ankle. Yep. Um, which pretty well smashed it, really, to, mm. to put it in better words. <laughs> mm. um, and then up a bit further, um, under my knee, I, I'd done the same injury from the, the tibia and fibula. So um, it, it was it was pretty well in bits and pieces. Um, so they they put a rod down the top of my knee, mm. through the top of my knee, and in down through my leg, and that bolt screws in through my ankle and just under, underneath my knee, which is um, mm. it's very awkward, but um, getting around okay now, which is good. You had a visit a couple of weeks ago at your parents' home there at Port Macquarie. 
from uh, one of your great friends from the jockey's room in Sydney. Who was that? Yeah, Tommy, Tommy come down to see me. and um, Tommy Berry. Tommy Berry, sorry. Mm. He come up to see me um, in the Port Macquarie. And, um, I was so thankful of that because, you know, when you're, in, when you're sitting in, in, in your hometown and stuff like that and, you, and you're sort of missing your friends and family, it's good, good to catch up with them. So I was so, um, so thankful he, he, um, he made the way up there to come see me. The constant sight of thoroughbreds on the Port Macquarie track whetted your appetite to the extent that you made arrangements to spend some time at John Sprague's stables before and after school, just to see if you liked it. Yeah, that's right. I was sort of at the age where you want to start start earning money and stuff like that. So I said to Dad, and, and Dad was all pushing for me to, you know, go to the stables and be a jockey, but... To be honest, I didn't really ever ever have any interest in it. I was always interested in motorbikes and, and stuff like that. But um, got, you got to the age where I said, oh, I'm going to start earning some money here and do a bit of work. So I said to Dad, I said, when are you going to take me over to the stables? Anyway, that next afternoon, he took me over and um, that was at John Sprague's table. So I started doing a bit of work there morning and afternoons before school, before and after school. So yeah. that's where it started for me. Yes, and during those visits, like so many young people before you, you fell in love with these amazing animals and the moment you left school, you looked for an apprenticeship and you got one with Mark Quinn at Port Macquarie and it was Mark who guided you through your mandatory trial rides. Yeah, that's right. I, um, I think I was, might have been the year, end of year nine or start of year ten. I was able to had a form a um, good relationship with Mark and he, he said, do you want to come be an apprentice to me? And I said, well, I need, I need, I need a boss. So um, that's where we went, and um, we started there and started my trials. And I think I might have done thirty trials or something like that, and, and mm. then was into um, into the races. Mm. Just before we leave your dad, Brett, he has played a very big hand in the maintenance of the Port Macquarie racetrack for a lot of years. Yeah, he did. He he was a course curator there for oh, twenty. 20 years or maybe a little bit longer but um mm. so you know racing was always in in our blood and whatnot and, and obviously been living at the 400 meters my pretty much my whole life um it was sort of always bound to happen to, for me to be a, a jockey or or work in racing you know but um yeah dad did work there for, for a long time and he uh, he left there now he's now my manager mm. and doing a super job in that capacity too now, your first ride in a race was for Mark Quinn. It was at Taree on the 5th of November 2013. It was the day Fiorente won the Melbourne Cup. You ran second on a horse called Cracker Knight, and you tell me that Mark Quinn expressed his opinion of the ride after the race in very simple terms. Yeah, that was – I remember that day. Um, First ride, just got beat. I think I got beat. Uh, would have been point point one of point one of a length. Well, it was, it was a dead set nose. Mm. Um, I think boss said to me, he goes, "Come back." He goes, "I reckon if you fired on that, would have won." <laughs> <laughs> Did he? So, uh, like I said, he put it in simple terms. <laughs> it was very simple, you know. I, I was only obviously having my first ride. It looked like a church mouse sitting on it and wasn't mm. moving much, mm. but. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, I reckon he said, I reckon if your father would have won that. <laughs> well, it was only your first ride, mate. Who did he expect? Nash for a willer. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it took you 40 rides to finally crack it for a win. It was on your home track at Port for trainer Beatrice Godbolt, who was now Beatrice Osborne. The horse's name was Red Almighty. You won a class one and you were pretty chuffed. Yeah, I was. It was um, it was quite a good day of that because uh, I had a few rides. I'm starting to get a bit down because uh, you know, like you said, I've had forty rides and couldn't get that winner. And there's plenty of ups and downs along the road to get there. And then little Rare Almighty put his head over the line in front for me, and um, it was just such a good day because I had friends and family sitting at the um, sitting in Mum and Dad's veranda with, with Mum and Dad, and they said, "Oh, do you think he's got it? You think he's got it?" So. I jumped in the car and took off over there. I think they were there before I even got back on the horse. So it was it was quite an amazing afternoon because I had my family there, you know, watched it from home, but they were there to um, to greet me when I come back in. So it was um, it was an unreal day. All right. Well, just recapping for uh, trivia buffs, Andrew Adkins' first winner was a horse called Red Almighty at Port Macquarie in a Class 1 at his 40th race ride. Now, at the very next meeting, you rode a double and the winners started to flow from there and you were a very proud boy in October 2015 when you turned up at the New South Wales Awards Night Dinner to be honoured as Champion Country Apprentice for 2014-15. Big night. Yeah, it was a, it was a great night. John, um, you know, obviously putting in hard work for the well, the fir- my first season of racing and being able to be, be country apprentice of the year it was, it was quite overwhelming and, and, and get like you said getting to go to the big dinner and collect that award it was um, quite amazing it was a good night and um, had plenty of friends and family there with me You were leading apprentice in the Northern Rivers region too weren't you in the same season? Yeah I think I was yeah I think that's correct mm. Well before long your indentures were transferred to a man destined to have an enormous impact on your life. The one and only Ron Quinton, the heir apparent to Theo Green. Now, I love this story, Andy. Ron asked you when you'd be travelling to Sydney and you said next Tuesday. He said, listen, I've got a horse running at Newcastle on Tuesday. Why don't you stop off? I need a claim on this horse. You can ride him. You couldn't get there quick enough. Yeah, exactly right. I um, packed the car and off I went and um, yeah, Newcastle races are on. So he said, you can ride that also. Stopped in there and um, I think I think I drove to the races that day and stayed that night. But anyway, got the, the horse won for me. So it was, it was a massive pleasure. And um, he was a good little horse, that horse. He, he tried very hard. and mm. um, It was a good stepping stone to walk straight in to meet Ron, you know, because I've never, never really met Ron before. and. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a great um, it was a great time, and then yeah, stayed that night, and, and I was at runs the next morning. Now the horse you mentioned was named Gull Talk. He was a chestnut gelding. You had the box seat run before winning a benchmark race on the Beaumont track, and it was a dream start, wasn't it, to the partnership? It was. Um, you know, going to meet your boss for the first time, you you sort of never met before. It was. Um, it was a big bonus being able to ride a winner for Ron before I even got there. So, mm. um, 
yeah, no, it was a, it was a massive bonus. It was only three weeks later when your first city winner came along. It was an 1,100-metre benchmark race at Warwick Farm and it wasn't a Quinton-trained horse. It was a gelding called Single Chance, trained by former jockey Andrew Paramore, who was training at Grafton. I think he still is. Now, you just got there. It was a nose margin. I think Jess Taylor may have ridden the runner-up. Yeah, you're right. Um, Andrew had a, had a runner going down. I'd rode, rode for him in the um, in the country for for obviously a year or so, and um, so I got one going to town that need, needed a claim. So um, I was able to ride it, thankfully, and yeah, he put his nose in front for me and, and got the job done. So it was a it was a massive thrill because you know obviously moving to Sydney, you got to try and make a mark straight away, and 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 it wasn't that long, like you said, so until we could put the riding on the wall. Andy, I'll just get you to stand by while we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the Inglis Bloodstock team. Special guest is Andrew Adkins. Now, you rode an odd winner in town for Ron Quinton, but he kept you largely to the provincial circuit for quite a long time. Yeah, he did, and and, and it, was a, it was a good reason too. Um, you know, you don't deserve to go straight into, from the country to this and go straight to the city. You know, you got to go through your grades, and 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 I think it should be like that for everyone. But um, it was the best thing because you go from riding country and then you go to p- provincials, where you got to take the next step instead of taking two leaps in into town. You know, you got to got to go through the I don't know what you call it, but you know, you know, you got to go through your grades, I guess. Um, and and it was the best thing for me because you learn to ride with the with the same jockeys that are riding in town, and and better quality horses before before it's taking that next step to to the city. Another premiership came your way in two thousand sixteen seventeen, and this was the big one. You were champion Sydney Metropolitan Apprentice with thirty six winners in town, fifty three in New South Wales for the season. A very proud moment. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a great time um, because you know to to win that is just such a bonus because you need you need headlines when you're when you're an apprentice and and to be able to do that and and win the apprentices premiership it was just and it was such a thrill. It felt like a tick the big tick in the bucket list, you know, because it's something I I, I wanted to do. Um, it's something I strive forward to do, and I achieved it. So it was. Um, was a big, big monkey off the back. You had two rides for two wins on an emerging dual Group 1 winning mare in 2017. You won a Phillies and Mares Benchmark 78 and a Group 2 Breeders Classic on In Her Time. 
Did she feel like a potential Group 1 mayor at that stage? Yeah, she did. Um, look, she, she was a very talented horse, and um, I, I rode her at Canterbury uh, the start before I won the Breeders, but she, she won that day. I sat, I think I sat three deep on her the whole, whole race. Um, didn't give her much luck, and she's still able to win. I said, you've got to be a good horse to be able to do that. So, um, And then she was obviously running in that race the next and I think it might have been two weeks later, and um, obviously I was still able to retain the ride, which I was so thankful for, mm. as being an apprentice and riding in 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 a, in a group two, you know. So, yeah. um, and able to get the job done, it was it was unbelievable, and it was my first stakes race. So, um, yeah, no, she was amazing, and and held a special place in my career. You know, the value of two Group One wins for a mare was highlighted by the fact that in her time realised $2 million online at the English Broodmare sale this year. She went to Newgate Farm. Yeah, well, she deserved that most definitely because she was so talented. And, and I think it was just her toughness. She, she was just so tough and um, determined to win she was. Um, she was just so talented. Gary Moore gave you several opportunities on a horse called Classic Uniform who finished up winning over a million dollars. You rode him six times for a Randwick win and a listed win in the Parramatta Cup at Rose Hill, but you also ran third on classic uniform in the Group 1 Chipping Norton Stakes behind Winks, and I think you got as big a buzz, if not more, running <coughs> third in the Group 1 than you did in the two wins. Yeah, you're exactly right there. Um no, he was a great horse. It was a big, big, strong horse. Um, I remember him like the back of my hand that horse because it was, he wasn't the easiest to ride. He was quite strong. Um, but like you said, actually running third to Winks was probably still one of the biggest highlight, like biggest um, thrills in in my short career. You know, he was running third to the great mare Winks. It's unbelievable. You picked up a lovely ride in the Group 3 up-and-coming stakes in 2017 on a horse called Dracaris from the Snowden Stable. And you and Tommy Berry on Gull Standard fought out a ding-dong finish. Yeah, that was a um, that was a good win, that horse, um, winning that race. And um, I actually only seen the photo the other day and I, I screenshot it and sent it to Tom and we're having a little giggle about it because it was only the upcoming that ra- that went around the other day. So. Um, I, th- I think that might have been two or three years ago. So, yeah, I, I sent that to him and we had a little laugh at that. that, that but that was a, he was a nice horse and I don't think I actually ever rode him again after that. You've had a couple of rides on a very good filly from the Snowden stable by the name of Dame Giselle. You ran second on her at Randwick and then you won the $1 million golden gift at Rose Hill. Yeah, she's a, she, she is a very, very talented horse. Um, Dame Giselle, and um, that that day I won her at, at Rose Hill and the Golden Gift. That was just un- unbelievable, you know. It was such a good win, and um, just the way she accelerated was just unbelievable. Because I rode at the start before, and I said to Peter and Paul, I said she just needs a bit of help, you know, just maybe some not massive headgear, but just something, you know. Mm. So I let put winkers on her, and that day she it was a I think it was a firm track. She just let down like an absolute rocket. And, mm. uh, that was probably one of my biggest thrills of, of riding that winner because yeah. it was such a big race and million-dollar race. It was very prestigious, I guess, and, mm. um, and and knowing she was heading 
for a golden slipper. So, um, no, she's a very, very talented horse. And I actually only rode her just before before my accident. Mm. It was just going absolutely unbelievably well. And I said that to Pete and Paul, this horse has improved lengths. So um, since I rode her last, and, um, and and as you can see, she's she's been in already for a great prep. Mm. Oh yeah, they're going to have some fun with Dame Giselle. Uh, but Peter's a bloke with a good long memory. I'm sure that a golden gift win will get you back on board one day down the track. Yeah, I'm hoping so. I'm flinging it back on her one day and get another big win on her. <laughs> Andy, I'd forgotten you rode Fierce Impact when he first came to Australia. You rode him five times all up. Uh, you actually won a three-year-old and upwards benchmark race on him at Randwick. That was back in the middle of 2018, and you were placed a couple of times. Did he feel like a horse who was heading to three Group 1 wins? He definitely did. He, he was a very talented horse um, back then, and, and as you can see, he's absolutely excelled for his career. And if, you know, Obviously, he's improved and improved um, each start, but, even his win yesterday was just unbelievable, you know. And um, like when I did ride him, he, he felt like a good horse back then. But he had to start obviously mature and 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 grow a little bit. But he's just taken, gone forward in leaps and bounds that horse. Mm. And now to the mayor who did so much for you, and the mayor you'll be telling your grandkids about one day, Daisy Doom had 27 starts for nine wins, six placings, 1.2 million for her owners who live in Perth. You rode her in 23 of her races and seven of her wins. You won the Group 3 Dark Jewel at Scone, the Group 2 Golden Pendant at Rose Hill, the Group 2 Millie Fox, and on March the 17th, 2018, the Group 1 Coolmore Classic. Were you confident during the running of that race? Yeah, she's um, she's one that I hold very, very close to me, my heart. Um, actually, funny story with Daisy because when she first come to the stable, um, we had a, a guy there called Nathan was riding her, and and then uh, obviously being the apprentice there, Ron said, "No, you can start riding her." Anyway, I started riding her. I said to Ron, I said, she's too much for me to handle, you know. Give it to someone else. Some, someone else can ride her. Mm. Anyway, so Nathan started riding her, and he was doing a really good job because she was quite a handful to ride at track work. She was, mm. she was not the nicest. But um, anyway, I, I then rode her on the, the first ever start, and she and she just won unbelievably. I pretty much didn't even move on her. Mm. And I said to Ron, I said, Ron, I think I want to ride this one every day now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> What did he say? Yeah, he goes, all right, I didn't want to do that a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, so I was back riding her every day. And I, I really enjoyed riding her and she was, yeah, she was just unbelievable. She was just so talented and so determined and tough. Did she give all the nonsense away, did she? No, she she kept it up. But when they're that good, you, you deal with that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you put up with it. <laughs> you put up with it. Yeah, that's right. I mentioned in the uh, introduction, oh, you didn't tell me how you were feeling in the Coolmore Classic in transit. Was she always going to win? Oh, it was unbelievable. You know, we, we drew drew right out wide and Ron said, look, I'm not going to tie down too many instructions. Just keep it balanced and put her in the best spot you think. You know, uh, mm. you know, like the back of your hand. So you, you just do what you and Donna and 
we'll, we'll deal with that after, you know. So that takes anyways, the pressure off, doesn't it? Well, it does, especially riding mm. it in a group one on, on quite a nice chance. Mm. Um, anyway, she began well and she ended up sort of a bit of sort of three deepish early on, but she was comfortable and, and travelling so well. Um, but coming to the turn, she was just full of running and even halfway up the straight, I was in front and I, and I could feel them coming and, and I knew there was a massive wall of them coming. But she's just so determined and so strong and, and just willing to win. And I was always confident inside the last last 200 metres because I knew she'd stick her head out and try the best she mm. could. You looked stunned coming back to scale. <laughs> you, you couldn't get your head around it, could you? I've won a group one. No, it's a, it's, it's a crazy feeling and it, and it doesn't sink in to probably till after the race and maybe a bit longer after. But, um, you know, winning a group one is, is just – an absolute career, you know, you dream about these, you dream about them things happening and, and for it actually actually turn out and happen, it's just, yeah, it's a feeling you can't explain, John. It's, mm. it's unbelievable, unbelievable. We mentioned in the intro that you've had two major falls in the last 15 months, both through no fault of your own and both as a result of horses shifting abruptly. Now, in April of last year, you were riding a horse called War Baron for David Payne. He was running a bit of a race in the straight when the leader power scheme shifted abruptly, bringing Glyn Schofield's mount down on your inside, and as it hit the ground, your horse virtually tripped over it and fell. Is that how it happened? Yeah, exactly how that happened. Um, like you said, it was running actually quite a good race. Um, we were running on quite well, but... Um, yeah, the winner, the winner sort of shifted out a bit, and it was it was all a bit of a blur that day because I was not I was knocked out when I fell. But um, all I can remember is Glenn Glenn falling next to me and sort of going underneath my horse. I've sort of clipped clipped over him, and I fell pretty well head first. Um, and then it was I was knocked out for for a fair while. Then mm. um, was was a, wasn't very good, but um, then I think I come back to it while I was on the way to hospital. So um, that was something I, I I don't really want to remember, no. <laughs> to be honest. Well, your list of injuries again was pretty impressive: three fractured vertebrae, sternum, ribs, jaw, nose. You did a good job on yourself, but unlike your current situation, Andrew, and this is important. No surgery was required. Yeah, that's that was the main thing because I they were a bit worried because I had the facial injuries and and they were thinking that I might have to have surgery there. But thankfully, I didn't have to have anything. And and same with the vertebrae, I think I had my T two, three, or four, and L one. Mm-hmm. Um, with 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 no operation, it was just such a such a relief because you know having an operation around your spine is just something you'd never want to have and I don't wish on anyone's behalf but um, without getting an operation it was just it was such a sort of a, a relief and mm. I, could, I could just go home and, and relax and, and heal sit up. It out. Just sit it out. Yeah. Yep. Now in between those two race falls you politely fell down the stairs at home one day and broke a wrist. <laughs> Can you remember what you said at the moment of impact? I, I couldn't believe it, to be honest, John. I went, <laughs> how, 
how on earth can you fall down the stairs at home and and break a wrist when you when you ride horses every day and you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> it was just a, I can't I can't explain. It was just, I fell over and that was it. I, I couldn't. Jeez, my arm don't feel real good. And I sat there for uh, a couple of hours. Oh, I might have just sprained it. Yeah. Went, went X ray and sure as anything, it was it was broken. Now you're not out of the woods yet. <laughs> you you resume riding. You're at the barrier trials one morning, and something happened. Yeah, that was about a month. I think I think I might have been back at the races for about a month after breaking my wrist at home, and I was um I was at the barrier trials, and one um, one horse decided to to jump before the barriers were open and and, and and sort of slammed through the front of them and threw me off the back and and, and it was it wasn't really a, a, a crazy fall but I, I fell off and I broke the same wrist different bone but the same wrist so oh and, I, and I knew straight away too I'd done it I, I I just couldn't believe it I was how how can you have so much bad luck you know just coming yeah. back and um and and then off off I went in the ambulance to the hospital so. You're entitled to think you've used up all of your bad luck by now. Well, that's right. After that fall, I thought, oh, surely I've, I've broken three bones. It's the three bad luck. I've had three falls, you know, it's the bad luck. <laughs> no, I was um, reminded that that wasn't true. I was after, at, at Roselle. Despite being taller than many jockeys at about 5 feet 7 or 170 centimetres, you are a natural lightweight. And that's a load off your mind during this absence. Uh, I mean, once once you're back riding track work, you'll be back at your correct riding weight in no time. You're blessed, really. I am very blessed, John, because it not only takes my mind off at this time, but even turning up at the races with having breakfast or, or, or dinner the night before, you know, it's just such a, such a big help because you go into the races fully aware and, and not having to stress about your weight and, not having to sit in the bath for a few hours the night before or that morning and stuff like that. You know, you, you, you go into the races yourself and, and feeling 110% instead of, you know, a few of the other boys might be only you know, feeling less than that, you know, because they've been in the bath or haven't eaten and stuff like that. So mm. it's such a blessing being able to turn up the races so light. I know it's almost impossible to predict a resumption date, but what are you aiming for in your own mind? Look, I, I went to the to see the surgeon on Wednesday, and I um, when I got there, I was thinking you might just say, "Oh, you know, things are things are healing okay, and just keep doing what you're doing." But he mm. more or less took the crutches off me and said, "Start walking." So oh. that was, it was such a blessing because I was able to, to, you know, be provided with information that I didn't think I was going to get. So and and he said to me. Um, Come back another six weeks and we'll, we'll get you back riding. So mm. I'm hoping maybe another two months I, I can start. Mm. And are you, are you weight bearing comfortably on the left leg? I am. I, I wouldn't say comfortably, but I, I I am weight bearing on it. It's mm. it's more. It's not really that sore, but it's mainly just because my leg has lost so much muscle. Um, it, it, it's very weak. Um, so trying to walk on it is it's not very comfortable, but. I'll um, start physio hopefully tomorrow, like Monday or through the week and mm. start building that muscle back up again so I can be confident on it and, and start doing some more with it. Now, you've been living with mum and dad at Port since surgery following the race fall. You're not getting under their feet, are you? No, I 
Oh, I probably am. Probably starting to get a little bit, um, bit frustrated and snappy at them at times. But um, no, they understand, and it's been so good to be able to be up there with them and um, and have their support right behind me and, and help me out because when you get her in the crutches, it's it's very hard to get things done. And um, and I'm just so thankful that I've been able to go go to their house and 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 do um do normal things again. Mm. Well, I think I should let our listeners in on a little secret. I happened to be in Port Macquarie for a couple of days recently and you and I and your dad, Brett, caught up for a couple of beers at Finian's Irish Pub and we had a full-dress rehearsal for the podcast. Yeah, you're right. No, it was great to catch up in, 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 at Port Macquarie, the local pub. So it was um, no, it was good. It's a great, great town and um, beautiful people there and and as you'd know, it's it's, it's um, lovely beaches and everything like that. So it's always good to be up there. It's changed <laughs> so much, Andrew. I can remember Port Macquarie 40 or 50 years ago. It was a sleepy little fishing village for retirees. Now it's like a miniature Honolulu. Yeah, you're exactly right there. It's, I remember uh, going home only a couple of years ago and, and, and there was traffic. I couldn't believe it. I went, what, what's going on here with the traffic? Mm. You know, it's just it's just growing so much, but it's it's a great town and, like you said, great people there and, and great friends and stuff like that. So it's always good to be up there when, when you can. Now, those two falls you've had, April 2019 and the most recent one, will finish up costing you about 10 months of inactivity. So you'll be out to kick some butt when you get back. Yeah, well, I only said to, to, to Dad the other day, I said, well, autumn, autumn is the um, main focus for us because that's when I need to sort of really hit my straps and um, and hope for some sec- success for them um, because I've, I've obviously missed spring now and, um, you know, autumn will, will only be around the corner. So I'm hoping to be back in full flight for that and, and hope for some success over that carnival. Andrew Adkins, been a delight having you on the podcast. You're one of Australia's most promising young jockeys and I know you're going to come back better than ever. Thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.